0: Hey, this is Steve with Life Worth Living. Believe it or not, there's a recipe for victory. There's a certain way that you can consistently win in life. One of my favorite stories of the Bible is the story of David and Goliath. Here a young, no-name underdog defeats a mammoth giant that's over 9 feet tall. There are tons of lessons to learn in this story about victory, and I'm so excited to share them with you. Interestingly, a lot of them are counterintuitive and might even shock you. Here's some of them. Your disadvantage is actually your advantage. Or what about this one? The heat of your mental struggles is a sign that you're just about to win. Or finally, your overwhelming circumstances are the perfect arena for you to taste victory, the victory that you were born for. I can't wait for you to learn what has inspired me so much recently, David's recipe for victory. So listen in. So we're going to study David's recipe for victory by looking at the story of David and Goliath. So we're going to be looking at 1 Samuel 17. And I'm going to read kind of verse by verse as we tend to do and share with you David's recipe for victory. And so we're going to start in 1 Samuel 17. Here goes verse 1. Now the Philistines, I almost called them the Philippines, my goodness. The Philistines gathered their forces for war for war, all right? And assemble at Succoth, there in Judah. They pitched a camp at ephes Dam- Damin, and probably not pronouncing these right, between Succoth and Z- Zechariah. And so, before we get too deep into this, let me tell you something. You can't have victory without the threat of danger. If you want to have victory, you're going to have to have something to fight. To win over to be victorious you have to have something to beat either cancer divorce a phobia a lack of income or an imminent loss of security you have to have something to beat a threat of danger don't look for the danger believe me you've got plenty of dangers already facing you so go ahead and begin to take advantage of the dangers that are threatening your security, your life, your family, and begin to realize this is part of my recipe for victory. Let's read on in verse 2. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle lines to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one side of the hill and the Israelites the other with the valley between them. Can you picture this? Two hills, a valley between the two hills and two armies standing on each, on each hill facing each other with this valley in between them. Let me tell you what, victory is around the corner when the battle lines are drawn. Your victory is right around the corner when the battle lines are drawn and your enemy is right across the valley. Your enemy is so close to you that you can hear him. You can see the aggressive look on his face, and you can even sense his evil intentions toward you. That's when you know victory's right around the corner. So this champion named Goliath, who is from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. That's ex- thought to be nine feet, nine inches tall. Now, some of the tallest NBA players are over seven feet tall but they don't they don't even approach eight feet this guy was almost 10 feet tall and he wasn't just some string bean kind of guy because as you learn what he was carrying and what he was wearing this guy was a mammoth of a giant he had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scaled armor of bronze weighing 500 shekels that's thought to be 125 pounds can you imagine what you were wearing to 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 make you weigh another 125 pounds on his legs he wore bronze bronze greaves and a bronze javelin that was swung on his back his spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels that's 1500 pounds excuse me 15 pounds not 1500 15 pounds okay that's, that's, that's the point on his spear, it was 15 pounds. Can you imagine him hurling that at you and pinning you against the wall? This guy was a brute freak of nature. His shield-bearer went out ahead of him. For victory to be victory, you need an enemy that's bigger than you. Otherwise, you haven't tasted victory. You need a massive impossibility. You need something to which you have no answers, no solutions. You need something that, humanly speaking, you can't beat by yourself. You can't see over it, you can't see around it, and you can't see through it. That's what it takes for victory to be victory. Otherwise, it's no victory at all. Let's read on in verse 8. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. If I overthrow him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Sounds like a kind of a scary proposition, a scary bet to make. Then the Philistines said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man, and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistine's words, Saul, that's the king of Israel, and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. You know what? You know when you're on the threshold of victory, when all you can hear is the enemy screaming in your ear day and night. You're on the threshold of victory. Him telling you that you're going to lose, and your situation isn't going to change. You already know that victory's on its way when your enemy defies and questions your Jesus, God's power. When he questions his love for you and his prosperous intentions for you, you're on the threshold of victory whenever that happens. In verse 12, now David was a son of an Ephrathite named Jesse who was from Bethel in Judah. Jesse had eight sons, and in Saul's time he was very old. Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to war. The firstborn was Elib, and the second was Abinadab, and the third was Shammah. David was the youngest. Now key in on that. The youngest brother, the the smallest brother. The three oldest brothers, though, they followed Saul. But David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep in Bethlehem. You know that victory is ripe for you when you're the youngest, the smallest, the most insignificant, the most obscure, the no name with no, uh, with no responsibilities that will get you anywhere in this life. Your victory is ripe. I think back of Zerubbabel uh, where in the, in the word where it's spoken of as rebel, who has despised the day of small beginnings? Praise God, your victory is ripe when nobody knows who you are. Well, in verse 16, it says, for 40 days, the Philistine came forward every morning and every evening and took his stand and basically yelled out the same threats The same thing that he had said the day before. For 40 days. Can you imagine sitting on the hill and knowing what's going to happen every morning, every evening. This guy is going to come out and yell his threats at me. Well, victory is yours when you hear your circumstances taunt you. Every morning when you wake up. And drag you down throughout the day as you as you're virtually incapacitated, when you're plagued with worry, so much so that you can't even sleep at night. Let me tell you what, victory is yours. These are signs that victory is yours. Verse 17. Now Jesse said to his Uh, son david take an ephah that's about 36 pounds of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp take along these 10 cheeses to the commander of their unit and see how your brothers are doing and please bring back some assurance from them (laughs) david's dad wanted to hear some good news for crying out loud how many of us have gone to the doctor just hoping to hear some good news Hoping that the test results were going to be okay. Just just give me some good news, please, for crying out loud. Give me some encouragement. Verse 19. There with Saul and all the men in Israel in the valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. You know what? Victory is sure for you when everyone is asking you for some glimpse of good news. You see... You're asking others for good news. It's time for you to start giving others the good news yourself. Start spreading the victory before you see the victory. You know, you may not be able to give them anything, but you know inside your God is powerful. You know He holds victory in store for the righteous. You know that He's as long as you keep your God before you and He's at your right hand, you will not be defeated. You will not be harmed. Praise God. People who don't have much hope are going to start surrounding you and asking you for a glimmer of hope. Be a fountain of hope to those around you. And here's what you need to do. For this to happen, stop looking to the doctor to give you good news. Stop looking for that lucky break that you've been hoping for and begin to receive 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 from the Lord. He is all you need. That's why the apostle Paul said, "His grace is sufficient for me. That's all I need." So get up in the morning, and receive from God. Be like Daniel. Get in in the afternoon, get with God and receive from him again and then in the evening get from get with God again and receive receive whenever you do this his word will begin to spring out of you like a well like a spring of water and will begin to give hope and victory to those around you you don't need to see victory in order to have victory how about that John 7:38 says whoever believes in me as the scripture has said Rivers of living water will flow from within them. John 7, 38. I tell you what, hashtag be a fountain. (laughs) You know what? Do something, receive from God, and start flowing and producing victory for everybody around you, including yourself. Well, early the next morning, David left the flock in the care of the shepherd, loaded up and set out as Jesse, his father, directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle position, shouting the war cry. Have you ever shouted a war cry but not really felt it? (laughs) You tried to convince yourself that things were going to be okay? But you weren't really sure. You didn't really believe it. But just to put on a good face, just to show that you were maybe stronger on the outside than you are on the inside, you shouted the war cry. That's what this army was doing. In verse 21, Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines, facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of the supplies and ran to the battle lines. I love David, man. (laughs) A recipe for victory. He ran to the battle lines, this little squirt. He was... It, we find out he's just a teenager; he was just growing out of his out of being a boy. He runs to the battle line and asks his brothers how they were. As he was talking to them, Goliath, this nine-foot giant, the Philistine, the champion from Gath, steps out from his lines and shouts his usual defiance, and David heard it. Oh, there's not there's nothing like hearing the lie, the threat of the devil, as he peers down at you for the first time, David gets his first taste of this, this lying giant, this threatening giant. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. Now, I want you to picture this. The Bible doesn't tell us this necessarily happened, but I believe it did. I believe all of Israel ran away and David stood there entranced, looking at this huge giant out there in the midst of the valley, staring, completely lost in amazement at how huge this evil giant was. I'll tell you what, that's what fearlessness does to you. You stand there when everybody else runs away. Victory is in the air when everybody runs away terrified and you're left there awestruck and entranced by the size of this enemy but all the while thinking my god is bigger my god is greater this guy might be huge this enemy might be impossible i might be facing the toughest challenge of my life but you know what i sense the holy spirit rising up within me and i'm just not scared of this guy i'm not scared of him let something rise up within you when everyone else is terrified and hopeless and listen to this statement. It came to me as I was in my devotions this week. Be numb to fear and deaf to hopelessness. Praise God, be numb to fear and deaf to hopelessness. Look at some of these verses that if if you were David standing there, would need to be running through your mind in first john four four You dear children, are from God and have overcome them. Because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. That giant might be huge, but consider the power of the sovereign almighty God that rests in your heart. I wish I could remember where I read the scripture this this week. It blew me away. But it said, uh, God's throne is to be settled in his sanctuary where the soles of his feet remain and I'm paraphrasing phrasing it. I can't remember exactly how it went. But in other words, your heart is a sanctuary of the Almighty God. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit where his his throne sits and where the soles of his feet rest. Oh man, you've got God Almighty in your in your heart and your life and greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. 2 Timothy 1.7, had it been written at the time of David, he was standing there in the valley gawking at this giant, for God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And then there's Philippians 4.13 that says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'll tell you what, victory is on the way. You need to begin to stand firm in your faith. The Bible says if you don't stand firm in your faith, you won't stand at all. You'll be just like those Israelites that ran away. But now we continue on in verse 25. Now the Israelites had been saying, Do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. They were saying this with some level of indignance, as they should have been. When the devil defies the church, we should get indignant. When our schools start teaching our children something that's not godly, we should get indignant. When a, when a politician votes into law something that's ungodly, we should become indignant. Victory starts when it dawns on you. Uh, when you begin to have this question, why does this mighty giant just talk and never act? He's been coming out for 40 days and all he's doing is mouthing off. He's not taking any action. Is it possible that this giant is actually scared of something inside of me? And that's why all he does is just constantly yell in my ear? Is his primary strength in his mouth and nothing else? Could he actually be taken down? Is it possible that my God is stronger than he is and God's spirit could silence him forever so that I don't ever have to listen to him again? You know that victory is on its way when you start wondering about these things and becoming curious about, you know what? I think the biggest power the devil has is his mouth. All he does is talk and lie and threaten. Well, it read on. We read on in verse 25. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage, and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. How would be that? That be like you never have to pay another penny of taxes if you take down this giant. Well, David asked the men standing near him. What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Look at how David's talking. He's talking like a victor, not like a victim. Who is this Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? That's how David saw things. He saw things a little bit differently. And Victory becomes real when you finally start making plans to attack your enemy. Because you realize your enemy is actually God's enemy even more. You tell yourself, I'm not a victim of this loudmouth, and greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. This battle is not even mine. This battle is the Lord's. You begin to see your enemy as a disgrace to you, to your family, to your future, to your country, to your city to those that you love, to the body of believers, and something begins to rise up in you, you decide to make war against your enemy. You start catching glimpses of spiritual aggression. (laughs) Amen? We need to become spiritually aggressive. Look at some of these verses that will spark spiritual aggression in you. Isaiah 43, verse 2, When you pass through the waters... I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. That's in Isaiah 43 verse 2. Hey, that almost sounds like Superman talk. All right? Nothing is going to harm me because I belong to the Lord. And if nothing's going to harm me, I may as well start making some damage to the kingdom of darkness in this world. Or you look at Isaiah 54, verses 14 through 15. This will cause you some spiritual aggression. In righteousness you will be established. Tyranny will be far from you. You will have nothing to fear. Terror will be far removed. It will not come near you. If anyone does attack you, it will not be my doing. Whoever attacks you will surrender to you. That's Isaiah 54, verses 14 through 15. These are some scriptures along with hundreds, maybe thousands of other scriptures that produce a spiritual aggression. You won't be victorious until you start being spiritually aggressive. We'll talk a little bit more about what spiritual aggression looks like here in just a second. But back to our story with David in verse 27. They repeated back to David what they'd been saying and told him. This is what will be done for the man who kills the giant. Then Elib, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, and he burned with anger and asked, Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. David said, now what have I done? Can't I even speak? And look what he did. And then he turned away. (laughs) I'll tell you what. When your naysayers start telling you, you're never going to win. When your doctor says, you're incurable. You need medication the rest of your life. Turn away. Turn away. I'm not telling you not to take your medication, not to go to the doctor. But I'm saying, listen to God. Listen to the voice of victory and stop listening to the naysayers. Stop listening to people who don't believe in you. Extinguish negativity with godly positivity. Godly positivity. There'll be those who even question your motives. Look at David's brother saying he was conceited. Don't worry about those guys. Those guys could make make you victorious anyways. Only God is going to bring victory in your life. So David turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter, and the men answered him as before. You know what? If victory was easy, everybody would be victorious. But so many people get caught up with that one person when they were a little kid that told them that they wouldn't amount to hill of beans, that they were ugly, that they were stupid, that they weren't talented. Stop listening to that voice and start listening to what God has to say about you. And start being victorious. Be the one person who's victorious. God has created you for victory. He's destined you, predestined you for victory. Let's read on in David's story here, though, in verse 31. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. How would you like it if you were overheard and the president or some congressperson calls you up because they heard you talking this kind of victory talk and, and talking about... Kind of hope and encouragement. Well, that's what happened to David. The king calls David in. Here's the deal. If you have a whisper of hope, your light is going to shine so brightly that people will begin to be attracted to you. Be that one person who believes God's victory is for you and people are going to see it in you. They're going to flock to you because they see something different. They see victory in you. Well David said to Saul, "Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight fight him." You know what Victory says? And this I I get this from my dad. I've heard my dad say this many times and it's impacted me enormously. You know what? Even if I'm the only one I'm going to be in church. <laughs> And and in David's case, even if I'm the only one, I will take responsibility to wage war against the evil one, against the kingdom of darkness. I will take the bull by the horns, and I personally, even if I'm by myself, will stand up against this enemy. I'm going to fight for my unsaved family even if I'm the only one. I'm going to stand up in school and I'm going to be counted even if I'm the only one that's a Christian. I'm going to stand up at work and I'm going to share the love of Jesus with everybody that I have the opportunity to. I'll speak up online on social media for the cause of Christ. No one is going to get me down. Count me in. I will do it. I will be the one even if I'm the only one. Well, Saul replies, "You're not able to go out against this Philistine. There's another vote of confidence and fight him. You're the, you're only a young man, and he's been a warrior since your youth. How would it be for someone who you hold in the highest respect to tell you that you can't do it? I'll never forget. I was I don't know 18, 17 or 18. I must have been 18 years old, and I I told someone." what I was going to study in school, and I'll never forget them laughing at me. And you know what it did to me? It didn't get me down. It just made me even more intense on what I was going to do. I said, I'm going to prove them wrong. (laughs) I'm going to show them a thing or two. (laughs) You know what? Victory has to shut off other people's opinions, your human limitations, and many, many times even other people's logic. If God has given you the victory into your hands, stop waiting around and go take what God has given you. Take it back. But David said to Saul, don't you like that? David didn't say, well, you know what? Maybe you're right. Maybe I can't do it. Maybe oh, I'm so sorry. I'm wasting your time. No, it says, but David said to Saul, <laughs> he said, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came out and carried off the, the sheep from the flock... I went after it. I struck it down, and I rescued that sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, because that's what happened. When you start attacking the enemy, the enemy is going to turn on you. Hey, that's the time to do what David did. I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. (laughs) He was vicious, and you're going to see how vicious he is in just a second. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. David had it right. It wasn't a personal vendetta or personal agenda. This was about the kingdom of heaven. And and he saw himself as a servant of the Lord Most High. And he saw that this enemy was an enemy of God. And he, so he was willing to stand against the enemy. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine What did Saul say? He said, go. (laughs) The Lord be with you, my young boy. (laughs) I mean, Saul, what what can you say about that? Here's this uh, spiritually aggressive young man that says, I'll go take care of business for this country. I'll go do what I need to do, even if I'm the only one. You know what? Victory comes in degrees. If you aren't willing to shut off a bad movie or deny yourself overeating, how are you going to stand against demonic oppression in those those people that you, those people 's lives that you love you've got to start having victory in your own life before you go start trying to have victory in other people 's lives start winning the basic small victories and listen to me carefully. Stop overlooking the battles God wants you to enter into wants you to enter into now stop over stop ignoring those battles and go wage war against the enemy in the areas of your life that you, need, you know you need to wage war in. Be an overcomer in the small things, and you'll become an overcomer in the big things eventually. Each victory will build your spiritual confidence in Jesus, who is your captain. He's the one that leads you into war. Amen? So victory comes with this militant attitude that David had. What is the enemy trying to take from you or someone that you care for? Is he trying to steal your peace? Is he trying to steal your health? Is he trying to steal a family member from you? Is he trying to steal your faith? Chase the enemy down and take it back from him. Don't let yourself be stolen from. If you start making violence against the kingdom of darkness, it is going to turn on you, but when it does, seize it, strike it down, and kill it and I'm talking of course in a spiritual sense we don't fight against flesh and blood we, we fight against spiritual powers authorities in this dark world amen that's why John ten ten 10 says the thief comes to steal kill and destroy but Jesus says I have come that they may have life and have it to the full you don't have to be stolen from anymore go gain your health back go gain your money back Go gain your relationship back. Pray it in. Get down on your knees and begin to pray in the things that the enemy has been trying to take from you. Well, we see in verse 38 that Saul dresses David in his own tunic, in his own war apparel. He put on a coat of armor and a bronze helmet on his head on this young little guy. And David fastened on his his sword over the tunic and tried to walk around. Um, and tried to walk around because he was not used to them. And I want you to key in on these words. He was not used to them. David was not used to the things of this world, to operating in the flesh. He was used to, to, to God fighting for him and giving him the victory. He wasn't used to him, So he said to Saul, I can't take these because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. We need to take off the flesh. We need to take off... Our earthly approaches to things and say, you know what? I'm not used to those. I want to do it God's way. I'm more used to the spiritual way of doing things. I've seen God work so many times by me trusting in Him and obeying Him. I don't want to do it any other way. So He took up His staff in His hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the porch, in the pouch of His uh, shepherd's bag with His sling in hand, and approached the Philistine You know what? If you live by the standards of the world, you're also going to live with the limitations of this world. So live by God's standards, and you'll live a limitless life. A limitless life. I love David, and I think about this. It's a funny analogy. He took five smooth stones. Um, Me and my oldest son used to go paintballing quite a bit, and I'll never forget this one paintballer. And paintball, you you, you have... uh, this little canister on top of your paintball gun that, that can hold, I don't know, 30, 40, 50 different you know, paintball bullets. and But this one guy, he came out with this paintball gun that probably housed 10, 10 paintball bullets. And he would precisely pick people off one at a time without firing off 50 paintballs at one time. And that's what David did. He chose precisely what he wanted because he knew it was going to do the trick. We need to stop... Uh, living our life based off the law of averages and saying, oh, I have a 30% chance of losing here and saying, no, with God, I have a 100% chance of winning. I have one small stone, one small prayer, amen? And I'm going to launch that prayer precisely at my enemy and he's going to tumble. He's going to tumble, amen? So strip off the earthly approaches and walk in a higher plane of the Spirit where all things are possible for those who believe. The worldly approaches should feel uncomfortable to us. I shouldn't be constantly arguing to get my way, or playing mind games with people to make things happen, or turning a cold shoulder on my child or coworker because they didn't do things the way that I wanted to do, them to do. These are earthly, fleshly approaches to doing things. So remove the old way of doing things from your life and start being Spirit-led. That's why in Galatians 5.25 it says, Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. In other words, if you're a Christian, then start following the ways of the Spirit. Walk, keep in step in that cadence with the Spirit, listening to Him, being inspired, and being also confronted by the Spirit and do things the way that God wants you to do. Meanwhile, in verse 41, the Philistine, with his shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was a little more than a boy, glowing with health, handsome, and he despised him. Don't forget that. He despised him. He said to David, Am I a dog that you come out at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'm going to give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. Victory comes when you realize the, de- the devil hates you so much. He wants to see you suffer. He wants to see you lose what you love. He wants you dead, literally. And when you come to this realization and understand that you will never be able to have a truce with the devil you will start hating him back instead of fearing him. Replace your fear of the enemy. Replace your fear of the works of the enemy with hate. (laughs) This is one time in life when you can hate deeply because that's going to get you to a victorious place in life. You're going to begin to say, you know what, it's either him or it's me, and it's not going to be me. I'm going to take this thing down in my life. I'm sick of it. In the very minute that very minute you will finally become victorious. You know what? I hate child abuse. I hate pornography and what it does to women and men. I despise abortion because it murders innocent children. I in particular despise partial birth abortion. Because now we're talking about killing a child as it's coming out of the mother during the birthing process. I loathe divorce. I despise the oppression and the meanness of selfish bosses and managers. I'm angered by bullies at school. I hate the hopelessness of sickness and the handicap and the injuries that, that, that bring on this hopelessness. I hate homelessness. I hate how illicit sexual relationships demean people, making people live far below what God wants them to live in. We all know that sex was God's idea and intended for marriage between a man and a woman. I hate anything else because it destroys people's lives. So take up the torch with this holy hatred that I'm referring to and become victorious for the kingdom of heaven. Notice, in nothing that I said did I say I hate people. God has called us to love people, to love those people who are in illicit sexual relationships, to love that mean boss, to love the bully, to, to, to love uh, you know, the, the person who is consumed with pornography. You never hate people, but you hate the thing that traps them and enslaves them a holy hatred starts the road to victory that's why in Romans 12 9 it says hate what is evil and cling to what is good it's biblical to hate evil <laughs> God wants us to and we need to hate the source of evil which is the enemy himself Satan devil the devil in Romans twelve nine, that's hate what is evil here's another verse that that in, incentivizes us to become spiritually aggressive. First John three eight, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil or the devil's work. That's in First John three eight. But let's finish up here. I know it's been kind of long, but it's, it's good. In verse forty five, David said to the Philistine, "You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty." He didn't know the name of Jesus quite yet, but we do. We come against the enemy in the name of Jesus, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. You know what? When the enemy defies you as a Christian, he has defied God himself, and that doesn't make God very happy (laughs) when he's defied. So your aggression plus God's uh you know, reaction to being defied is a match is, is, is explosive power. It's like gunpowder. And so you look at what happens in verse 46. This day, David says, this day, your victory is every day of your life. You don't have to wait six months to be healed. You don't have to wait a year to have your finances mended. Your victory is day by day, every single day. The Lord will deliver you into my hands. I will strike you down and I will cut off your head. This very day, I will give the give the." carcasses of the Philistine armies to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there's a God in Israel. Aggressive prayer is where we, this is is where the aggression comes in, when we're on our knees praying to God. When we take that one simple insignificant prayer, call it, we think it's insignificant, and we hurl it at our enemy, We're going to see the victory. We need to be aggressive in prayer, aggressive in testimony, telling people who Jesus is and what he can do for their lives, aggressive in our voting rights against abortion, supporting politicians or politicians who are supporting violence in our cities, who don't back law and order. Be aggressive in every area of your life for the kingdom of heaven. So in verse 47, see, all those gathered here will know that there's, it's not by sword or by spear, it's not by doctor, it's not by medicine, it's not by money, it's not by con, you know, who you know or who you don't know, that the Lord saves because the battle is the Lord. You know the most important person in the universe and he knows you. He will give all of you into our hands as the philistines moved closer the philistine moved closer to attack him david again ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him reaching in his bag taking one stone not 40 not 50 one stone he slung it and struck the philistine on the forehead the stone sank into his forehead and look at this he fell face down to the ground this the stone struck him with such force he should have fallen backwards But you know what? He fell forwards. You know what that tells us? It wasn't the stone that killed this guy. God's Spirit took this giant down. And He's going to take your giants down as well. But you need to sling that one stone. What is that stone likened to? It's a simple, overlooked, natural prayer. One little, powerful prayer can do the trick. And God will bring your giant down. One simple prayer to slay fear, to slay the lies about yourself, your sickness, your failing marriage, your oppressive work situation, your addiction, start slinging prayers at the enemy every day, multiple times throughout the day, and your giant is going to fall down. So David triumphed. There's another word for victory. He triumphed. Over the Philistine with a stone, a sling and a stone, without sword, a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. You know what? Let me kind of close with this. Your enemy has an identity, and you need to begin to give your enemy a name. Otherwise, he's faceless, he's nameless, and he's hard to fight as a result of this. But when you know your enemy's name is Goliath, you know what you're fighting. What is your, what is your enemy? It might be a fear, a worry, a phobia. Your enemy's name might be panic attacks at night. Give your enemy a name. It might be pain. You might be going through intense pain. That's your enemy. It might be isolation or loneliness or lust or joblessness or hopelessness or cancer, whatever disease, or it might be a love of money or a love of men's praise or an excessive video game playing. Give your enemy a name and begin to hurl prayers at your enemy until your giant falls. David stood over him. He took the Philistine sword. Cover your little kid's ears right now. He drew the sword and he killed him and he cut the head off of his giant with a sword the Philistines saw their hero dead. They turned and ran. That's what victory does. It's domino effect. One victory leads to everybody's victory. So you may as well be the one to get the victory. Verse 52, Then the men of Israel and the Judah surged forward with a shout. They pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath and to the gates of Ekron. Those were the two Philistine cities. Their dead were strewn all along. Uh, Israelites returned from chasing the Philistines. They plundered their camp. And one person's victory resulted in thousands of other people's victory as well. David, uh, I won't read the last couple of, uh, of verses here, but just tell you, Saul asks his, his right-hand man, Abner, he says, Who is that kid? <laughs> what What's his name? Where did he come from? And Abner turns around and says, For the life of me, I have no idea, Your Majesty. <laughs> I don't know who he is. As soon as David returned from killing the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul. And I want you to get, this is a graphic picture, but I want you to get this image. David is standing there holding the Philistine's head. Probably by the hair. It's probably a bloody affair. And you think, Steve, what on earth does this have to do with anything in my life? Well, how would you like to be holding the head of your cancer? How would you like to be holding the head of of your fear, of your loneliness, of your depression, of your hopelessness, of your lust. It's dead, and you're holding its head, as gruesome as that sounds. How would you like to be holding the head of your sleepless nights? And now you sleep a wonderful eight hours a night without interruption. How would you like to be holding that? Praise God. Well, Saul asks, "Uh, whose son are you, young man? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> David answered, and I love his answer, I'm the son of your servant Jesse of Bethlehem. And what, what David was saying is, I am the youngest son of a nobody, and yet I'm standing here before you victorious. <laughs> That's what David was saying. And you, my friend, can do the same thing with God's help. He's looking for nobodies. He's looking for no names. He's looking for people who've been pinned down for years by their enemies, not realizing they can gain victory in an instant over their enemies. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we just thank you, Heavenly Father, God, for these incredible, insane examples that you give us in the Bible of men and women who won their victories and showed us how we can win our victories as well. I thank you, Heavenly Father. Lord Jesus we want to be a victorious individual a victorious people group of people lord god victorious over all the things that i've mentioned fear pain sickness uh income restrictions lord god lord uh, all the things that plague us we want to be victorious and you know what you want us to be victorious as well that's amazing lord jesus so i thank you god for this wonderful example And I want to pause here for anybody who's listening now or later. How would you like to be victorious, and what does it take to be victorious? Well, it's one simple thing. Jesus needs to be the Lord of your life. He wants to come into your heart, into your minds, into your thoughts, into your purposes, into your your future. He wants to be your all in all. He created you. He loves you. He gave His own life to save you. How could you turn Him down? It's, it's like the best thing ever to have Jesus in your life. And if that's the case, I want to lead you in a prayer where you can invite Jesus. Because the Bible says that He stands at the door in, 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 of your heart, of your life, and He knocks. And it says that if any man, any woman, opens that door, that Jesus will come in to your heart and live in your life and boy, nothing will ever be the same. Your addictions will lose their power. Your your arguing with your spouse will lose its power. Your your parenting will get better. Your relationship with your, your work, your things get better. Don't get me wrong. You, you you have troubles. You have trials. But Jesus is there to help you from that point forward. So, so pray this prayer with me if you'd like. This prayer of inviting Jesus into your heart. Lord Jesus, you can repeat it after me there in your room, your living room, wherever you're at, in your car. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would come into my heart. I open wide the door of my heart for you to come in and change my life. Lord, reorganize my life. Lord, fix the messes that I've created. Lord, begin to guide me and give me wisdom so that I don't create those same messes again. Jesus, I make you master, I make you Lord, I I ask for your salvation, rescue me. Lord, rescue my life, I'm desperate for you right now, Jesus. And I thank you, God, come in and, and bring the joy and the peace and the happiness and the hope. I need hope, Jesus. Lord, bring all of those wonderful things into my life with you because you are all of those things. You are love. You are hope. You are peace, Lord Jesus. So come into my life, and I thank you, Heavenly Father, for it. In your name I pray, amen.